Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord, into my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Gospel of today, chosen for the solemnity of Pentecost, presents us with Jesus who arrives into the cenacle on Easter evening. The apostles are huddled together, afraid. They've heard some things from the women but they see them as as silly rumors. The doors are locked. They fear for their security. They're despondent, shattered. They're like lifeless clay or dry bones. They're thinking, well, maybe the Roman militia is coming in any minute. Put somebody at the door who could listen on guard. John tells us, Jesus came and stood amongst them. Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Well, let's stop at that image of the Lord breathing. He had showed them his wounds as he stood there. They were cleaned up, but it was clear that by seeing his wounds, he was not some actor, he was not some other person. They were the very same wounds that they had seen. He was not a ghost or an illusion. So they could see he was the same, but it's really when he breathed on them It's as though they felt the fragrance of his breath. They could feel it on their faces. It stirred up their memories of him suddenly and convinced them that he was fully alive and that that life had somehow transmitted itself to them. If somebody says to us something and speaks to us, stands in front of us, we don't notice that they're breathing. We know they're speaking, we know they're alive, but we don't say, he breathed on me, she breathed on me, unless the 
way she breathed on us, well, she would have to wind up and breathe. You know, she would have to, you know. So I don't think it was just like a, it, it was just, it was a serious breathing. It wasn't like hyperventilating. It was just some kind of noticeable breath that somehow came from him, but at the same time wasn't him. We know it was the Holy Spirit. With that fragrance, with that breath. It was a sign, of course, that he was alive. You know, sometimes if you, if you see somebody passed out lying there, you can take a small mirror or even a small piece of glass and you put it under their nose and it fogs up. Oh, okay, well, he's, he's still breathing, so he's alive. You know? Some people feel the pulse, but it's a quick way. Just put something under, some glass piece or something like that under their, their nose. But, of course, the breath of Jesus was much more than simply him being alive. There were other signs that showed that he was alive. This shows how, how closely united we are to the what we might call the death destroying resurrection of Christ and the living life creating gift of the Holy Spirit which we celebrate today using the color red because of his fire and no fire can can exist unless there is oxygen unless there's something that will you know, some air that will keep it alive. You douse a candle just by dousing it from air. But at the same time, this breath of Jesus, though it was particularly notable, why else would they notice it? Okay, maybe it was strong, maybe it was, you know, very, very um, insistent upon them. But perhaps, since they were receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, they were suddenly illuminated by something else that that breath referred to. There had to be a reason why he did that and why they noticed it. It has been said that this breathing of Jesus recalls God's action who in creation, in the book of Genesis, it is said, formed man out of the clay of the ground and blew into his nostrils the breath of life. And so man became a living being. That's right, chapter 2 in the creation narrative of the book of Genesis. Man was formed from clay when God blew in this in the, into his nostrils the breath of life only God can pick up mud look at it breathe and bring it to life he does it but he's doing it and what is he breathing he's breathing the spirit and now Jesus used his own breath it indicates that the Holy Spirit is the divine breath that gives life to the new creation and he gave life in the same way in the first creation. The first creation was, well, the creation of the world. Now it's the new creation with the church. It's like the birthday of the church now. 
there was the birthday of the world, the birthday of Adam when he was born, when he was made. Now there's the birthday of, of the church. That's why in today's psalm, the responsorial psalm, it highlights this theme, that famous phrase we've heard so often, send forth your spirit and they shall be created. You shall renew the face of the earth. Sending the spirit, they shall be created. I thought we were already created, but no, now we are really part of the new creation. So as we pray to our Lord now, picturing the scene of that breath, it's life-giving breath, we can tell the Lord now, Lord, I, I, I sometimes feel like that clay. I feel tired and weak and discouraged at times, too busy and too stressed and maybe overworked. Or I become very conscious of my fragile nature, my weakness, my laziness, my fear, the little divisions and uh, the contradictions I experience in family life. We sometimes say to ourselves, well, uh, with this weakness, with this limitation, we might say to ourselves, well, I've always, I've always been like this. It's always been hard for me to do this. I've never been good at I don't know, playing the piano. I don't know how to play the piano. I, I've never been good at sports. I've never been good at math. I've never been really good at logistics. We imagine the limitations. I've always tended to impatience. I've always tended to be a bit jumpy with people who annoy me. That's the way I am, we think. But today we have to consider that something can be infused in me and renew my life. Thinking about our own defects, which we all have, everybody has. The greatest person, the greatest saints has defects, has limitations. And now we can use that reality as an opportunity for God to infuse us and to renew us just like he renewed the face of the earth it's got to fill us with with hope renew my soul renew my vocation Lord renew my apostolate renew my vision of my duties the way I look at them the way I do my my work my cleaning my my very important responsibilities my fraternity Think of renewal. And we mustn't uh, diss the possibility. And there are many things in this world that have somehow fallen apart, but that can be reused. We're like the renewables. You get a package from Amazon, and you see that this package was made with renewable materials. That's why it kind of looks gray and brown or whatever. But, but they, somebody else has used these materials. Or the plastic bottles, they've been renewed somehow. 
Lord, renew this crazy world that we're in with the conflicts that we see, like the war in Ukraine, the crazy ideologies we hear about, or young girls that are influenced to dress in certain ways or fall prey to sensuality. Renew this world of ours. Renew me. Renew the face of the earth. And proclaiming that the Holy Spirit is creator means saying that this sphere of action is not restricted to the church but extends to all of creation. Naturally we consider Pentecost the birthday of the church before the apostles had received a lot of teaching but they were kind of stifled and maybe a lot of things they didn't even remember them, the things that Jesus said. But now they remember very clearly all his teachings. That's why we know them so well from the scriptures. Because they had remembered. The Holy Spirit had recalled all that stuff. In particular when, when the evangelists wrote things, they remembered because the Holy Spirit was active. And that's, in that sense, the Holy Spirit is definitely active in the church, but he's also active in the entire creation. He does not say, oh no, I just, sorry, I, I only work for Catholics. Uh, you know. So imagine how the Holy Spirit can act in the world around us, in people even who are not Catholic. There's no place and no time in this world that is without his active presence. He acts in and out of the Bible. He even acted before Christ's time during Christ's time and after Christ's time even if you could say he never acts apart from Christ but our Lord Christ is the second person of the Blessed Trinity so he existed before all time and he sent the Holy Spirit so no matter what he's always acting together with Christ in lockstep with Christ we know he's, he's really the love between the Father and the Son. St. Thomas Aquinas said, All truth by whomever it is spoken comes from the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, it's fascinating. There are people who can say a truth and they didn't just somehow fall over it by accident. Somewhere there the Holy Spirit was acting, if it is indeed a truth. The action of the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ outside the church. Of course, is not the same as the action of the Spirit inside the church and the sacraments. It's different. It's, it's more intimate, if you like. Because outside the church, the Holy Spirit acts by his power. Inside the church, he acts by his presence in his person presence is beautiful we see it for example I, I was looking over the ancient baptismal rite which is of course very similar to the current baptismal rite but they they changed a few things but like like now too we the priest receives the parents and the, the child is in the mother's arms and there's part of the ritual is that the priest has to ask some questions to the parents 
what are you here for, what do you ask the church, and so forth, that continues. But in the ancient rite, there used to be a the first gesture on the child was the exsufflation. I had a hard time pronouncing that. The priest goes into the rite of the exsufflation. And he says, going to the child, he blows on the child. He, like that. And he says, Exi ab eo immundo spiritus, et da locum spiritui sancto paraclito. So he's breathing and he says, go forth from him or from her, unclean spirit, and give place to the Holy Spirit, the paraclete. And the child must really like that, right? The child is all half asleep and actually in the grips of the unclean spirit. And with the presence of the priest, who is Christ, he blows on him like Christ blew or breathed on the, on the apostles. And somehow, mysteriously, infused the Holy Spirit. Then he goes on, he makes the sign of the cross, he lays his hands on the child's head, and then he says, cleanse, sanctify, endow him with true knowledge. And then he touches the ears, he touches the nose, the nostrils, he says, effata, effata, which means be opened. So now that that spirit has entered this little child, He's not even baptized yet, but the spirit is now ready, be opened, and then, of course, afterwards comes the entire trinity. You know? I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hmm? So the most important thing about the creative power of the Holy Spirit ultimately is not to understand it and to explain its multiple implications. But rather, what is the most important thing for us with regards to the Holy Spirit? Because often, we don't understand the Holy Spirit. You know, like that famous story of a priest in Rome. He was giving a talk to some high school boys. And he was Italian boys. And it was a feast of the Blessed Trinity, and he had to explain the Blessed Trinity and he said, okay, can anybody here explain to me what the Blessed Trinity is? Does anybody know what the Blessed Trinity is? And the kids were like shuffling in their seats and they're like, whatever, what's the Blessed Trinity? So one of the boys kind of becomes the uh, spokesman of his confreres. And he says, uh, in Italian, he says, Il Padre è Dio. Il Figlio è Gesù. Lo Spirito Santo Non si sa. God is the Father. Jesus is the Son. Is Jesus and Holy Spirit? But nobody knows who the Holy Spirit is. Who knows? <laughs> you know. And uh, I mean, it was funny. You know, the who knows? And that's what we sometimes think. We don't know all the implications uh, and the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't always know. We we don't always know. But what we what is important for us is that we experience the Holy Spirit. That we become conscious. That's the Holy Spirit right there in that thought. 
in that moment of prayer. I mean, what does it really mean to experience the Spirit as Creator? What does it mean that the Holy Spirit is Creator? Well, to understand it, we take the creation account as our, our departure. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless wasteland, and darkness covered the abyss, and the Spirit of the Lord brooded or or hovered over the darkness of the waters. So we conclude from that line at the very opening of the book of Genesis, we conclude from this that the universe already existed in the moment when the Spirit intervened. But it was a world that was formless, it was dark and chaotic. That was the world. And it is after this action of the Spirit that the creation suddenly now assumes contours. contours. Light is separate from darkness. The dry land from the sea. Now everything now takes on definitive shape. So we too can exist and think in our little own created world but we can go on maybe without much direction kind of floundering around without taking the cues from the Holy Spirit if we do that if we live like that well our vocations our vocation becomes rather rather dark even fragile agitated if we don't let ourselves be guided in our life by the ordering spirit by the creative power of the Holy Spirit we easily fall into activism we do lots of stuff we keep very busy but we're kind of like a formless void we're just like a blob just what I have to do this now I have to get up I have to do this blah blah we just we're a blob busy we lose sight of the apostolic dimension of our work of everything we do we just know that to do this work I have to press this button I have to pour this stuff into the machine and it's just pressing a button and pouring soap into a machine that's it la dee da but if we allow the Holy Spirit to guide us and we experience the Holy Spirit, we can say, okay, pouring this soap is going to change the universe. I'm going to do this work now, though I might be rushed because there's lots to do. I'm going to offer it for the Holy Father. I'm going to offer it for the apostolate. I'm going to be part of the dynamic growth of the church, of vocations. Vocations of the priesthood, vocations of the work. I'm no longer simply doing stuff and keeping busy and simply working. Where everything is a kind of a duty and we fall into the dark abyss of losing our supernatural vision. Just having some supernatural vision 
means we are already experiencing the Holy Spirit. Just hearing somebody tell us when we are complaining about a problem and we are told, okay, well, let's see this through the light of God. Let's have supernatural vision, see what God is asking us. It already picks us up a bit. We don't know why contradictions happen. We can get into silly conflicts with each other about the way of doing this or the way of doing that or what is the criteria for doing this or that. Look what happened to Peter. He was always in conflicts. He denied our Lord. He was weak. He was uh, cantankerous. He was argumentative. He often did not understand what the Lord meant. But immediately after Pentecost, when Christ sent his Spirit upon the apostles, the flames of fire, the tongues of fire, suddenly, suddenly, for Peter and for others, suddenly the crucifixion, it suddenly dawned on him what happened. Before he, he'd seen the crucifixion, he said, this is a total failure. I mean, this is the end. I mean, let's get out of here, man. But suddenly now, with the Holy Spirit, he suddenly understands all the pre-Calvary instructions of the Lord. And he says it in the Acts of the Apostles, just after the Pentecost, after that day, or the very day, he says to the people, he says, you used heathen men to crucify and kill him. But God raised him to life again, setting him free from the pangs of death. Because it could not be that death should keep him in its grip. I mean, how did he figure that one out? Certainly wasn't his own intellect. He understood that the cross was no accident in his life. It would be none in theirs or in his followers either. The Holy Spirit transforms creation from chaos into the cosmos, into something really beautiful, something ordered, something polished, something clean, something in its place. And that's what you do, of course, when you come and clean a place. It's like the Holy Spirit comes in there. You, you go from the chaos of the snack room to the order of the snack room, where everything is in its place. So let's ask the Holy Spirit not just to know about it, but to experience the Holy Spirit, to know when He's prompting us, to know when He's acting in us. And then let Him open up our horizons. Today we will hear the sequence and it'll, it'll give us lots of little nuances about how the Holy Spirit acts today on the day of Pentecost. And our mother, the Blessed Virgin, who is at the center of the Apostles, will hold us all together. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations that you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you how to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.